We often like to keep our favourite bands in time capsules. We don't see them as people, but as timeless, ageless rock stars whose music stays young as we grow old. But this isn't really the case. And by 2003, the members of Blink-182 had done something that nobody had expected. They had grown up. Travis Barker, Tom DeLonge, Mark Hoppus, they'd all become fathers since their last album. The band that used to sing about being grounded, about prank-calling people, about living on a tour bus with no responsibility. All of a sudden, they were faced with the very real responsibility of parenthood. Constant touring had sapped the band's energy, and when Hoppus was left out of DeLonge's side project, Boxcar Racer, Hoppus felt betrayed, creating tension in the group. Despite the creative arguments, the lifestyle changes, and the marching on of time, the band decided to regroup for one more album. It would be their last album together for eight years. The band worked collaboratively, going darker than ever before, combining experimentation with their signature sound, and as Travis Barker would later write in his memoir, it was a perfect happy medium, and it's the Blink album that Mark, Tom and I are most proud of. On November 18th, 2003, Blink-182 released Untitled, and it's gone on to sell over 7 million copies worldwide. Fan reaction was mixed, with some fans dismissing their new darker direction, but as the decade rolled on, it was clear that Untitled had fundamentally changed the course of the punk genre. Bands like Fall Out Boy, Paramore, and My Chemical Romance, bands that dominated the airwaves during the 2000s, all owe a tremendous debt to Blink-182's Untitled as a pioneering moment in emo music and pop punk. And when the band reunited to play the album in full at an anniversary show 10 years later, tickets sold out in 32 seconds. Untitled had become a classic. Which is why it's almost a bit of a shame that it didn't debut at the top of the Billboard charts that week. But unfortunately, it happened to come out the same week as In The Zone, the fourth studio album by Britney Spears, which is also wildly successful and positioned her as the biggest pop star on planet Earth. Just how did Britney bounce back from her breakup with JT? How did fatherhood affect Blink-182? And which of these two artists writes the best songs about masturbation? We're going to find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. Judd Boaz with you, joined by my co-host, Pedro Duran. Pedro, how are things? Yeah, they're fine, man. We're um, lifting restrictions here in Melbourne, so we're no longer have a curfew. Shops are open, um, so they're, they're looking good. I want to give many thanks to the Supreme Leader, Dan Andrews, for his uh, benevolence and his kindness upon our lives. I tell you what, I now identify with uh, Moses in the desert because I went to the pub for the first time last night in like months and months, and Mm -hmm. that first jug of beer was as though mana from heaven had fallen. It truly, it just truly satisfied my soul. Mm -hmm. So, we've chosen some very interesting albums this week. In fact, very excitingly, you even may have owned one of these albums, which I'm excited to delve into a little bit, but we've brought on a guest to help us out with it. You may have heard her on Triple M or her own fantastic podcast, Dug By Us. We're joined by the lovely and talented Cassie Walker. Cassie, how's things? Hi, that was so lovely. Um, Things are good. It feels normal again in a week actually it doesn't I'm saying that just because that's what everyone's Mm -hmm. saying it doesn't at all I went to the pub this week and felt so awkward and uncomfortable and I didn't know where to put my mask and I felt 
really uncomfortable just not being able to relax, uh, but we'll get there. It's like baby steps and it's nice that we have a little bit more to work with. It's just, it's so, look, it's weird. It's going to be weird for the rest of the year, but um, I'm really enjoying my time at home still. And I've been thankfully allowed to keep on creating, which has been the best thing of all. You know, I think making podcasts and talking about music has really got me through this time. So it's been not too shit. Can I shit? Would, can I say? Can I? Can I say a shit? I don't know. You can say it all. You can say it all. It's a yes. pandemic. Can I it's a, say it's a such shit? A gr- it's such a great excuse, isn't it? If I like need to pee in public or I need to be mean to a toddler, my excuse it, it covers everything. It's a pandemic, guys. I don't know if you know this. It's a pandemic. I'm allowed Both to do of those this. Things you've done since the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, yeah, concurrently as well. Um, yeah. Cassie, we're so sorry that we had to subject you and sit you down to listen to two albums against your will, but perhaps you liked these albums. Can you first tell us a little bit about your history with Blink-182 and your history with Britney Spears? Okay, so I became, I evolved into a punk kid. And so um, at the time in 2003, I was so pro Blink-182. I absolutely adored the band. I adored them so much that my mum banned me from listening to them. And I don't know if we've got story time, but she essentially went into my bedroom one day when I was at school and took down all of my Blink posters, got rid of my whole collection of everything I'd recorded from the television of them uh, because, you know, they're a bit too rude and it was rubbing off on me. They were heathens, so to speak. Hmm. I was a good Catholic school girl then. So that was so, um, (laughs) you know, so it made it even better to like them. So by the time that the Blink-182 album came out, the self-titled, if you want. I was a bit older then. I was allowed to, you know, kind of choose the music I was listening to. And I thankfully won this record and the whole back catalogue on a uh, Channel V competition. So awesome. I was awesome. like, you know, my mum got rid of it all, but it was redeemed. And also shout out to my best friend, Kita, who recorded all of their albums on cassette tapes for me so I could still listen to Blink even though I was banned from listening to Blink. Um, and <laughs> Wonderful. coincidentally, she labelled them as Britney Spears. So my mum thought I was listening to Britney when I was actually listening to Blink. So that takes mm. us to the next record, which is In the Zone by Britney Spears. Now, in 2003, I was so deep into punk rock that Britney was the devil to me, you know, like, <laughs> and not in a cool way. Like, I despised Britney Spears. I remember, um, you know, when she first came out and going to, you know, an all-girls school, we had to learn a dance routine, which against my will, I did it. And we did the one more time dance. So that was like burnt into my memory. Like I just couldn't stand anything about Britney. Now let's fast forward to, I guess, the modern times. And I've got so much like sympathy and empathy for her. I feel so sorry for her as a human being and as a female. And now I look back at her music and it's a nice nostalgic. I mean, Toxic is just a dead set banger. Like I just adore that song, (laughs) uh, which is, I think, the biggest single from In The Zone. So um, now I look at this album with a very different mind and I love it. So it's not been against my will. It's been a great time listening to these albums. Pedro, what about you? We are, of course, talking In The Zone. Britney Spears came out November 12th, 2003 and Blink-182's self-titled, untitled, I'm not quite sure, came out six days later. Uh, what's your experience with both these artists? With regards to Blink-182, um, I mean, I basically listened to them because my brother um, had the albums. He had Enema of the State, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, during you know the early 2000s, they were massive on MTV with these really um, 
I thought uh, unique and provocative videos, for instance, like What's My Age Again, where they're just running around naked, right? I think that's a classic video with the next record where they're basically um, making fun of all the boy bands and Britney Spears, for instance, and all the pop groups, the bubblegum pop groups that were massive at the time with the record, like um, all the small things. So they were they were everywhere. And then I do remember my brother picking up this uh album and listening to it and even back then um realizing wow they've really um changed their sound compared to the previous stuff that i've listened to and then in regards to britney spears if you were alive and cognitive in the late 90s early 2000s you couldn't miss britney spears she was everywhere she was the biggest pop star in the world no doubt just everywhere i think the whole world saw her rise her fall her shave her head her beautiful marriage to the wonderful rapper k-fed who we did an episode <laughs> friend of the K-Fed. podcast yes pancake man and all that and even to this day i still follow britney spears on instagram just to see what she's up to <laughs> i mean we'll get into that we're gonna get into that this is true yeah and um it's 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 fascinating and i agree with you cassie i during this week, just going back and watching interviews with her, trying to like, you know, uh, refamiliar myself with that time and era. It's a little sad to see what she was going through because I was watching like interviews and she was like breaking down and crying and all these things and um, seeing how she turned out. It's um, it's pretty trippy. So you mentioned it briefly, Pedro, that this is a bit of a, a departure for Blink-182 in a, a bit of a darker direction. I think both of these albums are a bit more mature sounding to what they had done previously. And right. so right off the bat, their ages. First of all, all the guys in Blink-182 are like in their 30s at this point or just turned 30 and they're like starting families. So the immature songs they had stop being fun and start being a little bit sad if you keep writing songs like that. So they have to evolve. January 2003, they rent out a home in the San Diego luxury community of Rancho Santa Fe and they're going to record the entire album there and they build a studio in the garage and they put on pay-per-view pornography on a loop continuous play and they buy a bunch of weed and quote unquote smoke hella weed in the garage and Tom DeLonge is quoted as saying if I wasn't smoking half of Columbia I probably ran up three million dollars in adult film charges and they recorded in that house until they got kicked out by the owners in April I wonder why. <laughs> and so, but a lot of this is they want to change and they want to do something different. Because I can understand you're trying to show this to, to your friends or maybe your parents are like, oh, this band's really cool, this punk band. And then they listen to some of the songs about jacking off or whatever. They're a little bit corny, I would say. So the idea was, Mark Hopper said in an interview, the desired effect of this album was for people to listen to it and say, wait a minute, that's Blink-182? And really shock people. Also, I mentioned, I don't really know the title. What do you guys call this album? Is it untitled? Is it self-titled? Is it eponymous? What are we calling it? I call it self-titled, which doesn't really make sense, but it does. (laughs) Other joke titles considered for this album were Diarrhea de Janeiro, Vasecta Me, Vasecta You, and Our Pet Sounds, which is a reference to the Beach Boys. I would say this album, they nailed it because it sounds very different. It sounds, dare I say, emo? Are we going that far? Oh, it's it's 100% emo. Yes. Bro, definitely. Right before this, you got Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American, Weezer's Green Album. I think All American Rejects would have been around this time. So this is a, a wave that is sweeping white middle-class homes in suburban America, and it's going to take over the world. As for Britney, of course, this is her fourth album, which is crazy to say because she's 21 years old when this album comes out, Mm. which is, you know, Mm. she's released four albums and sold millions of records. I had done literally nothing with my life at 21, (laughs) and honestly, not much has changed. Um, She's, (laughs) at this point, 2003, November 12th, she's one of the most famous people on the planet. 
bigger than the Beatles. She could have kept doing this innocent girl next door thing she'd been doing for the previous albums for like another eight years. People do that. Cough, cough, Ariana Grande. But she's choosing Mm. to move on and sort of shake that image. She's looking to update her sound. So immediately she starts reaching out to people, uh, people like Missy Elliott, the Neptunes, William Orbit, Daft Punk, even LCD Sound System. She's trying to reach out to new producers and, and work with them. She found some collaborators to work with. Let's dive into the albums. Let's break it down track by track. So opening in the zone, Britney Spears, we have Me Against the Music featuring the one and only Madonna. Now, I assume this was meant to be a real passing of the torch moment, you know, and I forgot this song actually existed until I heard it, but I haven't heard this song in maybe 15 years. I just feel like when people say Britney, they always go to, they go to Toxic or they go to Baby One More Time. This was post The Kiss, and when I say that, we all know what I'm talking about. 2003 VMAs, Madonna kissed Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera on stage. Iconic pop culture moment that scandalized everyone, young and old, and would be seen as probably incredibly tame by these days' standards. What did you guys think of Me Against the Music? I actually love it. I feel it was so badass. And I love the collaboration between uh, Madonna and Britney post-kiss as well. Um, Again, this is me today appreciating it. Me then just thought it was so wrong and tacky. (laughs) I mean, we live in a we live in a PK world. There's BK and PK before Kiss and post Kiss, and this is certainly it. It's it's interesting that that was the genesis for the song because they were practicing at the VMAs, and Britney played her the demo of this song, and Madonna loved it, mm. and she said, oh, "I love that so much." So Britney's like, "Well, why don't you why don't you get on it and do a verse for me?" Um, and and history was made. But you you love this song, Cassie. I love it, and I think it's a strong way, and it's risky to start an album with a a, a special guest. I think for this album as well for Britney, as you've said before, it's like it's a complete change for her image and a complete change for her sound. And it's, you know, she's going through a divorce with Justin Timberlake, like they're the sweetest couple in the public eye. And then that's all changing. And I just think for her to kick off the album with this person that she's had controversy with is is really ballsy um, and super strong. So I'm like power to the people for this one. <laughs> Um, and I, yeah, it's it's fun, and I can't believe I'm saying that about a Britney Spears and Madonna song. If 13 year old you could see you now, she'd be sick to her stomach. Oh, she'd be so mm. annoyed at me. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed the song. Um, obviously, this was the lead single of the album. I had in mind that this came out after the infamous kiss so this all plays into everything and just leading and just adding more to um the controversy or britney and madonna being a topic of discussion um yeah i thought it was a fun dance song i mean lyrically she's just talking about battling the music and the pleasures and the fun of letting go on the dance floor yeah i think there is um something symbolic because uh, there was a time where madonna was the controversial girl where you know, at the MTV Awards, she's um, performing in a wedding dress, basically straddling the stage. She was the talk of the town afterwards, and now Britney Spears is is, is that is that person that's um, pushing the boundaries in 2003. Another thing I want to point out is at the start, she's sort of whispering, and I got a real Justin Timberlake vibe from the whispering at the start. Like it was a bit really? like uh, like I love you or Senorita. I was like, oh, maybe she collabed. Maybe this is pre breakup. They they were talking about this song, and oh, why don't you whisper at the start? Me against the music. Just me 
I'm looking at you. What am I? Keep looking at me. That is so interesting. Maybe he was inspired by her. Oh, well, that is true. That is also true. Maybe he stole it. I want to say this. You start with your lead single, you come out with a bang, a hiss and a roar, and I think Blink-182 do that as well with feeling this. Like, this is some pop-punk goodness on their opening track here. Travis Barker's going off. Tom DeLonge is, like, his voice... Can I say a whiny voice? Is that what I'm gonna? Is that what we're gonna use? Yeah, it, it is a whiny voice, and that's not yeah, a bad, that's not a bad way. It's just iconically whiny. Yeah, you need to kick people in your teeth on the first track, and I think this track does this. So much energy right out of the gate. Yeah, and it's a really good bridge from that pop punk sound that they're famous for, or at that point were famous for, into this new kind of emo rock sound that they were going for with the album. I think that it's the perfect way to introduce fans to the new Blink. Mm, this is this is extreme makeover Blink One Eight Two edition. This is the before, and you're going to transition into the after as the album goes. <laughs> if this was like a snog, marry, avoid, people would avoid this album. You know. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, so I don't think it's characteristic of what we're going to hear on the rest of the album, though. No. Ironically, I put in my notes that I am feeling this song. <laughs> you know, right off the bat, if you've listened to other Blink albums and you listen to this song, you can definitely tell it's a different sound from what they've done previously uh i do like this song but for me as the album went on it it wears thin on me because i mean you said it it gets a little bit whiny it gets too a little a little too emo which is ah man it's just a just a genre of music that i don't necessarily gravitate toward I can't wait for you to start fighting with Cassie in, in like 15. <laughs> I think this is like the best thing ever made. It's an it's an absolute masterpiece. This should be in the Louvre, you know. <laughs> it absolutely should be. This is better than the Mona Lisa. Um, I guess the thing that I find is that it's it's a shorter song, which kind of ties in with the classic blinkness, uh, but it's a little bit more repetitive than what you usually get with their punk stuff. I think that's always been their trademark even before this, like short, sharp, catchy, don't overstay their welcome. I want us to cast our mind back to the the merry old age of 2003. You know, what was going on in the in pop culture at that time? Because Britney's next song, I Got That Boom Boom, it opens mm-hmm. with a line from the one and only, or the two and only, Ying Yang Twins. Shout We finna go to the club and get crunk with Britney. Hey! Is that the most 2003 <laughs> sentence that you've, I've ever heard yeah. on the podcast? Like, my God, it's an odd choice. I'll tell you that. She could have collaborated with the Neptunes or LCD Sound System. She went with the Ying Yang Twins. So this is a, like a concerted effort to go very different on her music. They're fresh off doing the hook to Lil John's Get Low, you know, till the sweat drips off my balls. So they're mm-hmm. real, real hot right now. On her previous albums, she's doing covers of the Rolling Stones and she's singing songs written by Shania Twain. So this is a very big departure for Britney. Uh, what do we think about it? Oh, I think it's so cringeworthy. <laughs> like, and it's so, um, it's so of the time. Just, it really is so of the time. It's very low jeans um, with a few too many Diamontes on them. But yeah, I'm sorry. It's a bit cringy. <laughs> well, it's because you know what it is? Like, Britney, this isn't Britney. And I don't, I'm not going to even pretend I know anything about Britney Spears, but I can tell this. Because like, she's just a good old Southern girl from, I think, Louisiana. She goes to award shows wearing, like, double denim. It just doesn't suit her. This isn't her wheelhouse, I don't think. And um, she sticks out of it like a sore thumb. All right, guys. Now this is the <laughs> fork in the road. Because I'll admit, when this song came out back in the day, I had it on my personal playlist. <laughs> because I thought it was fine. I thought it was a nice club banger. And, yes, it is very 
of the time, 2003, the Ying Yang twins, the word crunk. And there are cringy parts in it when, especially when in the beginning, she goes, you know, these, this is for the Southern boys. And as a guy who grew up in the South of, of the United States of America, I hear that and I laugh all the time because it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I took it as like, you know, the Ying Yang twins had a massive hit. You just got them on. You needed some kind of hip hop banger. So you got these two and their signature sounds like, ah, and, ah, and all that bullshit. And you guys, they made a song out of it and I'm not, but I'm not mad at that. You know, I, I, I was going through and th- this was actually uh, a, a candidate for the first single. Now I'm glad they didn't put it out as the first single. Cause I think uh, me against the music is a way better song, but I'm not mad at it being on the album. You'll contain your rage for later in this Blink-182 <laughs> album, I assume. The, yeah. the next, which the next song on it, obvious. Now, Travis Barker says, we were thinking failure meets Led Zeppelin meets the police. And he says he loves the verses in this song. To be honest, this wasn't my favorite track. I'm going to say the lyricism wasn't that strong. There was an interesting use of they like switch the stereo channels, which I know gets you rock hard, Pedro, where they go from like the right, the right ear in your headphones to the left ear. Oh, yeah. They do that a couple of times. And I'm like, that's that's like a nice gimmick. And I can see that they're trying to be more experimental. But for me, this is going away from what made them successful, which I know they're trying to do. It just didn't work for me. Tell me how I'm wrong, Cassie. No, well, I was even thinking that Petra's going to, like, if you're hating this sound, this is, I think, the peak um, emo song on this record. Um, it's very much, I mean, it's it's a, it's a Tom DeLonge song, and that is the whiny part of Blink-182. And in between this, he was working with Travis Barker on another band called Boxcar Racer. And after this, uh, Tom DeLonge created the band or put together the band Angels and Airwaves, which is very whiny. Um, I've always been pro Mark in this in the Blink-22. There's always, I think you always in pick the a, schism. Yeah, you always <laughs> pick a favorite and I've always been team Mark Office. So uh, it's not a favorite for me. It is a little whiny. I think listening back, it, it is just a bit of a sad like it's a bit of a pathetic song um but i remember at the time listening to it just being you know an angsty teen going oh this hits me in the in the feels um it's yeah like it's it's i guess it's very obvious of its influence which is that it's trying to be one of those emo bands that was really popular at the time so here's the thing and i think for both these bands these bands are targeted at younger audiences i think that i think that's fair to say older audiences can enjoy them but they are targeted Emo music in particular really hits you right in the gonads when you're like 14, 15, 16, that sort of coming of age, weird things are happening to your body, um, you're feeling all these different emotions and hormones, and you, uh, you feel like your world, it, it just completes your world, this music. So there's a reason, like me, for instance, I can recite most lyrics of any Fallout Boy song in recorded history, or the Get Up Kids or something, because it was just that time period of your life where music is really important to you. But if you haven't heard this before, and I've never heard Obvious before, I don't think, and going back to it, it does, it's just a little bit cringe in terms of the, the woe is me and the emo-ness and the whininess. 100%. Yeah, uh, 110%. <laughs> even, with, uh, even with his voice, it just it kind of irks me after as we go on because it's just, it, it's, it is like it's just whiny and stuff. But he's talking about this person who's the relationships crumbling between the two. And one thing I, I, I noticed throughout the album is like they're complaining about a person or they're talking about a person where the relationship doesn't work out or they're um, feeling all these type of emotions for them. But I never got a sense of whom this person was, whether it be a former lover or uh, I don't know, like a parent or anything like that. There's one song I think where they talk about domestic violence, if, I, if I'm not wrong, 
but just this aimless direction of emotion really it really bothered me (laughs) well it could be about i mean it could loosely be about one another because the band sort of broke up after this record they went on hiatus and uh it was a a while until they came back and then we all know what well i think we all know what happened i mean now blink doesn't even have tom DeLong in the band it's all a very confusing love triangle happening there with the guys so uh it could be i i'm i'm pretty sure that they were still with their partners um or they were all in long-term relationships at that point in time um Mm. and i think quite happily i remember travis barker and his wife at the time had a reality show but who knows that i remember that yeah yeah (laughs) so i don't think it but who who knows i mean who really knows i think that this song does not represent guys uh binge watching porn and smoking a lot of weed it's just <laughs> i don't know it doesn't reflect where they were recording that's for sure the next song which is the big hit and one of their biggest songs i miss you which is the, so this is so much more mellow and heartfelt than their earlier work I'm, I'm not like a huge, what would you call a Blink-182 fan? A blinker, I guess? Blinkies? <laughs> so as a blinker, as a blinky bill, Kathy, maybe you can tell me the, the correct thing about it. Um, the closest analog, I think, is like Adam's song, maybe, in their previous work. 100%. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Like, that's the first sign as a Blink fan that they were deeper than fart jokes. <laughs> and like they, that Adam's song, I remember, was just such a turning point and the film clip, and that is the closest uh, song that to this album that they've ever released prior i miss you is such a different turn for the band it's like the film clip they're dressed up like you know they're in this haunted mansion and they're all very gothic and they're wearing makeup and you know you've got the the stand-up double bass like it's a very different image for the band uh but this song is still a classic like that where are you line if if you are with any other blinkers and and this song comes on, you are all singing that at the top of your lungs. It is one of the best lines ever in in any Blink song. It's it's incredible. Yeah, so I will say like this is what Tom DeLonge's voice was made for. <laughs> yeah. Like it was made for a song like this. It's it just suits it so well, and everyone loves doing it. That like. I would I just doing the impression like where are you? It's yeah, so exactly. good. Yeah. And you mentioned so you mentioned the upright bass. This is like a, a real acoustic song, which is a, a rarity for them. Inspired by the Cure's song "The Love Cats," which keep that in mind, the Cure, um, and much more gothic and and down tempo. Uh, and it went on to inspire the Chainsmokers "Closer," which I fucking hate. <laughs> Awful. (laughs) Yeah, awful song, awful song. But it's a shame that, you know, they were on the downturn and, you know, because they had other projects and they're breaking up. Because if they had continued in this vein, they could have produced some really good gothy music, I think. I agree. I feel like this sound um, and like the throwback with Adam's song is a really cool sound, but it's also not blink you know i don't think that you can really say hey listen to you know the mark tom and travis show listen to dude ranch and then listen to this it is completely different sounds and um maybe it could have been a side project in a parallel universe yeah um i actually like this song very much obviously it's one of their their biggest songs the video was great as well yeah i i I really really was feeling this song and um i think tom and mark compliment each other when they're kind of going back and forth, one does one verse and the other one does another verse. I wonder if that had to do with the writing process because I, I was reading that they will go into separate rooms and kind of do their own thing and then come back together and just kind of put it together and um, try to make it work. But um, yeah, I thought the song was great. Travis is killing it on the drums, which 
he always does. And that's one thing I would say, one positive thing about the album that I really enjoyed is that Travis, every time he's on a track or any any track that there's an emphasis on drumming, I mean, he he's killing it. He's murdering it. So um, you can always rely on him to uh, step up to the plate. And maybe you can answer this because I didn't know, but I was reading the research and it, maybe it points towards how separated and fragmented the band had become. But because they were in San Diego, but Travis refused to go to li- to stay there. So he would drive from L.A. to San Diego every day to like record. Yeah. And eventually he just stopped coming and he just sent the, sent the tracks. How far is that drive, Pedro? Um, it's about, I think, two hours south. So L.A., you go south two hours, two and a half hours. Unless you leave on a Friday afternoon and then you get stuck in that traffic and it's going to take you about oh, yeah, six that's hours. True. You got to take, <laughs> yeah, take that into consideration. Yeah. But I, I read that as well and I figured, yeah, maybe because, you know, their relationship was souring, but also at this point uh, he's married. He has maybe, I think he might have uh, kids or at, the, at the time. I, I get it. You just want to sleep in your own bed sometimes. Uh, I understood uh, uh, Travis's uh, point of view in, uh, in that story. And it could be as well that Mark and Tom were always the songwriters of Blink-182, you know, and then Travis's, you know, never really had that that role of producing or songwriting, uh, where now, I guess, you know, in the year 2020, we see that Travis Barker is a really talented writer and producer. And so maybe he was just yeah. being a little bit shunned by those guys. And, you know, they're the original members. They started the band. They're like besties. So <laughs> there could have been some sort of divide Um and yeah, like I could have, if I couldn't be bothered doing that drive, I'd just send in my tracks, <laughs> sleep in my own bed. And also he realized he was like a 31-year-old man hanging out at a garage, smoking weed and watching porn with his friend. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that is another thing to consider. It is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Um, we're going to take a pause for the cause. We'll be back with more When Albums Collide. What's up, guys? It's Ruby here. You can check out my brand new single, Spell, along with all my other tracks right now on Spotify or wherever you get your music. Welcome back to the podcast. We're joined by Cassie Walker, a self-confessed blinker, to analyse Britney Spears' In The Zone and Blink-182's self-titled album. Came out six days apart in 2003. Hold that in your mind. 2003, because I want to talk a little bit about the climate around it with our next Britney song, Showdown, which was a really interesting song because the melody and vibe I felt changed about 18 times during the song. But it's also the third song in a row, I think, and the third song of many where Britney's hinting at having sex or getting freaky um Mm. like the lyrics i don't want to be a tease but would you undo my zipper please you know yada 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 now i think there's definitely these are these two artists are at the peak of their game but you've definitely got two different audiences you've got the the punk kids and the rocker kids that like blink and you've got the pop people that love britney so we can see what blink are doing they're going in a more emo direction as the 2000s roll on and we've left the 90s behind and britney is going in a more provocative sexy direction is that the direction that 2003 was going because i remember around this time uh i was also hitting puberty and christina aguilera's dirty came on and it really hurried the process we've got all these teen idols that used to be big let's sexy them up a bit let's sexy up the image is that the way it was going i think it's just growing up as well like britney spears you know she's i mean she's still quite young but she's going through a divorce and 
I mean, she's got lots of money. She's got a lot of stuff happening in the background and she's a business now. So she's, I think she's just trying to find her voice and tell people that, hey, I'm not like the girl from the Mickey Mouse Club anymore. And I think this album's exactly, um, yeah, how she's saying that to to her audience and to the world. As you mentioned at the top of the show, man, and she was 21 at, at, at this point. Just imagine any red-blooded human at 21 is you know, just going out, experimenting, a little bit of drinking, maybe smoking a little weed. You're interested in um, hooking up with people. The thing with Brittany is that she's just a massive pop star. She probably wants to go into a different direction with her music as well. And she started off, quote unquote, as the bubblegum pop princess. Um, even though I think even with a, a track like uh, Baby Hit Me One More Time, um, that video was a bit sexualized as well, right? When she dressed yeah, just, up as just that. a bit, just just a t- the tiniest yeah. bit. That was so made for teenage boys. That video, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, but then like the next two songs come on at "Breathe on Me" early morning. I was like, is this entire album just going to be about fucking? Because like I would have liked a little bit more variation. I understand she's got a new image. She's a new woman. She's striking out, being independent. But first of all, I don't think the songs themselves are sexy, even though they talk about Mm. sex or hooking up. Like, if I come home and I put on, like, Breathe On Me when I'm with someone, I think that's going to kill the mood. I don't know about you. I would never put this album on to set the mood when you're on a date Mm. or something. Breathe On Me, it's this, like, Euro-trash ambient techno thing. I'm sure they're playing it right now in a club in Bratislava, but it it didn't didn't work for me. (laughs) And Early Morning, a little bit better, produced by Moby, actually, which was interesting, and it's got that sort of soul vocal thing that he he goes for but yeah again two more songs about where she's talking about hooking up or or bringing someone home and it just thematically it got a bit samey samey it's it is Mm. a really uh weird album that i feel that it's i guess really sums up where she was in her life where it's a bit lost you know like it's going for a lot of different things um and that's because there's so many writers and so many producers like i don't think that there's Mm. any consistency on this record and i don't know if People did want that in 2003 from Britney either. I don't think, I don't know if people did want consistency in an album. It was more so just getting some singles and there was a few club hits. And I think that this is got that, like you've said before, like that really dance floor kind of European vibe. Going back to Showdown and with, uh, that was actually co-written with Kathy Dennis, who has done a lot of work with Kylie Minogue um, and a lot of that Mm -hmm. European kind of disco or dance floor stuff. So I guess that is, you know, she's trying to tap into a market that she might not have got before. And I think she did get it. It's, I think it's very clubber (laughs) um esque which is definitely not my bag but yeah i agree it's 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 not a sexy album it it is a little confusing but it is for her a good way to express her i guess sexual side but then again it might be what a 20 21 year old girl that's been in the media her whole life and been on a stage maybe that's what she thinks sex appeal is in terms of like just really upfront blatant i don't know if she had a call on that to be honest there's so many different songwriters and producers i don't really know if that she- is because we always want to give you know like it's her album she must have had agency but the the reality is you know she she has writing credit on early morning but the other stuff you know as you mentioned kathy dennis and um a whole bunch of it's always swedish guys there's always <laughs> 400 swedish guys on these tracks yeah i mean i i think you're hitting the nail on the head she's 21 we she's she wants to do a different direction but there's a whole group of people around her whether it be management songwriters they're going to be like all right we need to do a britney spears song let's make it about sex and hooking up and and things like that so we're just going to take the sounds that's going to make 
you know, 2003, we're going to make sounds that are going to be accessible in the club. That's one aspect. I took it as going into this album. This is this is not an album I would necessarily like. You were saying, Judd, if I brought somebody home, I'm going to put on this sexy Britney Spears album so we can set the mood. You know, I'm playing this like at the club to get people horned up so they can drink more <laughs> vodka and they can do <laughs> make bad decisions at the end of the night. What I'm saying with this, with like a song like "Breathe on Me," "Breathe on Me" sounds like a, a song you would hear in a movie when they are in the club. Do you yes. know what I mean? It's almost like a spoof of a sexy song. <laughs> That is a perfect way to describe it. It is a parody <laughs> of actual music. <laughs> it's a parody of a sexy Britney Spears song. So, uh, so it's that. And then another song like "We're Early Morning." It's like that's really whatever. It's a song about hooking up. There's not really much depth. I feel there. like Moby had too uh, much control of that song. <laughs> yeah, come on, Moby. Nobody listens to techno. <laughs> yeah, Blink One Eight Two, Violence. Mark Hopper said he loves this pairing of seemingly incompatible music styles, and he loves the bridge. Uh, he loves this song. And fucking incompatible is right. I wasn't crazy about it. I appreciate the experimentation, and it seems like they're always trying to go a bit post-punky with the distortion and the static. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cassie, what do, you, what do you got? Look, I am going to go back to when I first heard this, and I just, like, I honestly, this blew my mind. Um, I, okay, <laughs> I think that's fair, because if you're, if you're younger and you don't know their influence, like, this would be very different. And And for a mainstream band to take this jump after what they've been making, like, all the small things, how pop that was, this is a big jump for them. Yeah, this is huge. You know, this talks about, um, you know, addiction. It's it's quite a dark a, a dark song. It's it's the longest song I think the band have possibly ever done at this point in their career. It's got so many different levels to it. It, it acts like an, an interlude in the record as well. You know, it, this is an album that you've got to listen to from start to finish. It's an album album. It's not a singles album, I think. Um, I just, yeah, I just felt like this was so deep and emotional, but like just, yeah, it was real. And it's, again, I, I don't know why I'm going back to Adam's song again, but it was it was real in the way that Adam's song was that you knew what they were singing about. And it's um, really obvious things that a lot of people are dealing with that you wouldn't expect from the jokey Blink-182 guys. You know, Cassie, you're very eloquent in, in how you said it, but this song did nothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was just like, okay, that's fine, guys. I get it. So um, You were so yeah. not a fan of Tom DeLonge's voice. <laughs> no. It, like, I, I mean, I, I, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> because it just comes off like I said, it just comes off as whiny. And when I hear that tone or something about it, it's just like, no matter what he's saying, I'm instantly thinking lyrics about my stepdad, but you're so mean to me kind of thing. And I'm just like, oh, okay, bro, like whatever. <laughs> I think I would have appreciated an album with the instrumentation that this album has, but it's a whole album of his real interests, you know, UFOs and his investigation and aliens that would have been a lot more interesting to me. <laughs> Is he actually into that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. He, like, um, yeah. If you have time, go down the big hole that is Tom DeLonge and his <laughs> interest in aliens. So he actually has like researches them. He has this UFO hub in San Diego. Angels and Airwaves. His other band is completely. It's all about yeah. space and <laughs> aliens. And apparently, he communicates with 
like <laughs> with the president and tells the president what the aliens are up to. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. He co-founded uh, the he co-founded an organization to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences that is dedicated to UFO research. <laughs> He's working on exposing Pentagon's <laughs> mysterious ufo program he's he's super into it man yeah it's a really fun five minutes if you've got some time and you're bored on youtube check it out the next song i mean there's a bit of an interlude here for stockholm syndrome and there's a spoken word interlude where joanne wally which is uh mark hoppus's grandmother narrates a letter that her husband sent her during world war ii and i'm gonna assume he lived through that war because they had children and gave birth to mark hoppus's mother you know i hope one day that my grandchild will let me read you know my 3 a.m whatsapp messages to his grandmother <laughs> on on his album you know, <laughs> are you out tonight babe um it's not quite gonna be as poetic and then you got the intro to Stockholm Syndrome, which, for me, best moment on the album. I thought it was fucking great. I think you all know what I think of it. <laughs> I feel like you hated it. You hated it. I actually thought this was a this was a really good album. Uh, um, excuse me, a really good song. <laughs> But I, I, I really appreciate it because Travis's drumming is on point. Uh, he's really, you know, crashing those cymbals um, and the drums really make the song for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that Travis, I mean, Travis Barker is a fantastic drummer, but we, I don't think he was recognized as like one of the best drummers in the world until this album. Like, I think that the simpleness of the Blink songs on previous records didn't allow him to be shown off as like this epic drummer. And I don't think it was until this record that people were like, oh, Travis Barker, you know, and he really established himself. I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but I, that's how I kind of saw it. Um, and looking back at it, that's, you know, the time that he kind of went from being the drummer of Blink to being Travis Barker. Right. Yeah, definitely. Do you, Cassie, do you think it's because in their previous songs, they were so, I guess, tongue in cheek and running around naked in videos and and I don't think it would be unfair to say that their songs are can be considered immature. Do you think that takes away from the their credibility and where, where um, uh, audiences or music critics would be like, wow, they're actually really good professional musicians? Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, like you said before, like you can't take Blink-182 to somebody and go, oh, this is what they sound like, you know, and then play like, you know, Josie and they're complaining and, you know, like it's just, it's, it's a really, it's a hard sell if you don't get it and if you haven't lived through it. Um, I can't imagine there's like, a, you know, teenagers now listening to that. I don't know if, if teenagers like Blink-182 now, I'm not too sure, but I think that this album you know, they're in their 30s. They just, they're, they're getting married. They're becoming fathers. They don't want to be the joke band anymore. And they they are talented. They're very good songwriters. They're great producers. They're, they're great musicians. And we know that now because they're still around doing it and making a lot of money from doing it. So I think that, you know, they got sick of that and they got sick of the joke. I'm sure that, you know, the joke only lasts for so long. And if you do that night after night, it stops being funny. We get to it finally. Britney Spears' best song and one of the best pop songs of the 21st century. Yeah, I fucking said it. Toxic. Uh, Swedish producer duo Bloodshy and Avant, as well as, and you mentioned it already, Kathy Dennis, who listeners might remember from our S Club 7 episode. Yeah. She also helped penned Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl, Can't Get You Out of My Head, Kyla Minogue. She's a fucking star. The iconic strings here are actually sampled from Tear Mare Beach Mine, a song from 1981 Bollywood film Ek Duji Kilia. Beach, 
How the fuck these guys found this song and then thought to sample it is wild, because it sounds nothing like Toxic in the movie. And famously, this song was shopped around and offered to Kylie Minogue, who turned it down, and no doubt she regrets it to this day. Um, yeah, this is an awesome song. Iconic video clip that cost over a million dollars, one of the most expensive video clips, but the song itself is awesome. I can't believe this wasn't the number one single. It's such a strong song, and like it's still a dance floor banger like I'm a rock DJ and I actually will drop this this is like the only Britney song I will play (laughs) um in my sets but it works you know if the time is right and the dance floor is right this song works with a rock set um it's it's really it's it's so fun it's just a mind-blowing like I don't know it's strong and it's bold and I think given the time that she had just divorced Justin Timberlake, who was like, he was still really pure and shiny and and popular. I think that people were definitely team Justin with that breakup. You know, people were confused by Britney Spears and people were, I don't know, I think when it comes to celebrity breakups, people take the guy's side for some whatever reason, you know, it just, it generally happens. But uh, this song is just, it's, it's so cool. I don't know how else to describe it. The film clip was sexy and bold. Um, and I like, I randomly met one of the songwriters one night um, at a bar <laughs> in at the Soho Club in Hollywood. And, and he said that he wrote it uh, about his ex-wife. So I don't know who that was. Like, I can't remember the guy's name. He was like a bigger build guy. He was older, did not look like the guy that wrote Toxic, but apparently it's true. I don't know. He could have been pulling my leg. Um, I just remember he was eating cookies. That was a really random thing to be eating at a bar. Really? Yeah, he was like eating like actual choc chip cookies, what? not like special cookies. Okay. It was super weird. Yeah. But he said that, you know, it was just like he went through a divorce and he wrote it and that's what attract or like I guess he wrote it with his team because he's a songwriter. Britney connected with that. And I think if we look at what she was going through, this is the most Britney song on this album, you know, 21-year-old Britney on this album. So uh, it says a lot about JT and I'm a fan of him. I'm, I'm like, I think he's cool, but it's, if you read between the lines, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, this is a banger, even in 2020. Um, absolutely love the song. I, I looked up that movie clip as well. And it's interesting when you, when you hear the original samples, it, you kind of hear it, but what I read is that the producers took two samples and put them together two contrasting samples and put them together and then they were able to make that sound and it's that the high violin you hear that and you just know you're just like oh yeah that's a britney spears song the video is awesome you know it's sexy she's walking around as a as a flight attendant but the memorable most memorable part of the video was that um diamond Mm -hmm. bodysuit that she's wearing and you only see flashes of it you know so it's not uh too much but it's crazy because at the time, it was deemed so racy that MTV only would play it after 10 p.m., from 10 p.m. to like 6 a.m. So that's the only time you can actually watch that music video because of um, all the stuff that was going on. This It was too but sexy. But that just makes it cooler. Like if MTV tells you that something is like is inappropriate, that means that you want it more, right? <laughs> it's like- exactly, exactly. And, and if you go through, just through music history, anytime – someone uh, says you can't listen to this album don't listen to this song or something like that we're going to band it or we're just going to play it at a certain time it just gains popularity we did an episode about guns and roses and they were playing guns and roses late at night you know because they were just the most controversial <laughs> band ever and people will stay up mm-hmm. and, and and watch it because that was the only time you can actually watch it, it just it just uh 
piqued people's uh, interest. Look, from the highest highs to the lowest lows, we go to outrageous, really poor, I thought. Can't believe this was a single. Incredibly boring beat. Awful hook. Penned by R. Kelly. Oh, it's Nothing so more bad. needs to be said. <laughs> outrageous is right. I don't have much for this, actually. We can move on if you want. Yeah, I mean, you just hear it, and it sounds like 2003. You can almost expect 50 Cent to be on the song. Yeah. It just sounds like a song like Candy Shop. It should have been cancelled. I mean, today, it's absolutely cancelled. I think that the only reason it was a single was probably because Toxic was a little bit too risky, and they needed... I mean, it's ironic that the R. Kelly one is less, you know, risky than Toxic, but I think that, like we were just saying, like she was only being played from 10 p.m. till you know, 6am and they needed something else. They needed another product from this album. We're going to wriggle on because we're always going long. Um, next song on Blink-182, The Fallen Interlude, a bit of an instrumental experimentation. And then we have Go and Asthenia. Asthenia? How am I doing? Asthenia? How do we say that? I don't even know that and I'm a blinker. <laughs> You're a blinker. You're a diehard yeah, blinker. Blink. What did you think of the interlude and then these two songs, uh, Go and Asthenia? So, I mean, interlude was... Like, we've already experienced some of that in, earlier on in this album. I feel like it's too soon to have another interlude. Is that just me? I, I remember feeling that when I first listened to it. Um, interludes were quite new for me <laughs> as well. And I think, to be honest, they didn't need it. I think they they put it in there to to give them that kind of Beach Boys, Pet Sounds kind of feel or to give them a Pink Floyd-esque. I think they only did it because other people did it, to be honest. Um, in terms of the song Go, it's probably the most blink song on this album and the interlude is a good buffer to kind of you know wet the palate a palate cleanser (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's fine i liked it it was short which um is commendable and the drumming is great like i'm going to praise travis all all throughout this album uh we go i mean it's a song about domestic violence yeah i mean what whatever i mean it's admirable that they um are, are touching on the subject. I understand why it's on it because they want to, they're heading for a more mature direction. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it, it just didn't hit me in the, in the feels as, uh, as someone would say. So we get to touch of my hand, which this is a song about masturbation. Cool. Mm. Um, I think the instrumentation is wonderful, actually, on this song. It's some of the best on the album. And uh, Brittany said about it, she really loves the vibe of Touch My Hand. When I came into the studio, it really came off like such a natural process. I love the subject, you know, I'm touching on because no one's really talked about some of those things in a lot of the songs written lately because people are scared to go there and to express themselves in that way. And, you know, I think it's an empowering thing for girls, you know? Cool. Without further ado... Judd's top five masturbation songs. Number five, The Caesars with Jerk It Out. Do you remember that one? Love that one. Number four, MF Doom with Cookies. One lonely evening alone home, end up with carpal tunnel syndrome. Here I am, no forgiving, heavy backaches grown, and living off a little Debbie snack cakes. Supposed to be checking emails, all I got is messages from ass naked females. Number three, your favorite, Pedro, The Darkness, with Holding My Own. Number two, Chuck Berry's My Ding-A-Ling. Every time the choir would sing, I'd sit there and play with my 
And at number one, goes without saying, Divinals, I Touch Myself. Do we have any honourable mentions, guys, for masturbation songs? I think that was a fine mm. list. I feel like I can't think of any better. Uh, I definitely don't feel that Touch of My Hand by Britney Spears should be in there. <laughs> it's, Not one of your favourites. Uh, it's, it's, I like, I, I just, I feel, um, I like, I guess, I like what she said about it. I like that she's trying to empower other young women. She's trying to have conversations that aren't normally had. I think that that's fantastic. And for that time, it's just such a punk move of her and really bold. And I love that. I love that she did that. And I love that she used this song to start that conversation. But it's not my favorite song ever. <laughs> it could be very far at the bottom of my list. I remember when during the time when um, she was doing interviews and promo for the album, it was kind of a big deal. You know, this, the pop princess is doing songs about masturbation and it's interesting like female masturbation is always seems to be a very controversial thing especially in pop culture like oh my god you know i i I don't i don't really get it because everyone does it and but one thing i wanted to say what uh to add to your honorable uh mention list uh the stroke billy squire oh actually Uh, that is a great song i adore that song forgot about it yeah let's put it in the top (laughs) if i can have any input of that top list (laughs) the funny thing is i guess talking about britney's masturbation song that blink that's the reason i got banned from listening to blink right is that they would always joke about masturbation and that's the first i heard of that the m word and so i used it (laughs) yeah i used it in a competition to meet them right and i said oh like why do you like them that's why my mom banned me from them i was like i like the song they make they masturbate and i had no idea what that word meant but i knew that it was like always got a laugh after they said it um my mom absolutely you know i mean she probably could have had a conversation with me about it rather than you know just like ripping down the posters that i it was a different time it was was a a different different time time, but i think that that's exactly you know going back to that that um you know these guys at a similar age to what britney was you know were talking about it like saying the actual word you know, and making gags about it. And it was funny, but somebody like her is, you know, it's, it's a controversy when she talks about it. So it's very interesting mm. of, I guess, the gender inequality when it comes to masturbation talk. The next song is The Hookup. I guess it's supposed to be like a reggae thing, I think. And thank Bruh. God she doesn't yeah. really do an accent, which we've had on the podcast before. Check out Vanilla Ice episode. Uh, who else did one? So uh, Smash Mouth episode. Grim. Yes. The Hookup, guess what? It's another song about hooking up with people. Because she hasn't done enough yeah. of those. Things. So this at this point, I sort of cracked the shit. So I was like, come on, like sing about anything else. So I just sort of skipped this one. I was, yep, yeah, I'd listened to it once and that was more than enough for this lifetime. Yeah, well, the thing about it is I was wondering, because you know how we, we'll go into some episodes and especially in the early 90s, there was this um, trend of putting in like the Latin song. You can check out our S Club 7 episode and stuff so i was thinking like why was this song in there and i looked it up a year ago exactly to this album coming out sean paul's dirty rock came out and that you know set off this like dance hall reggae kind of uh trend so i imagine they were trying to ride on the back of that yeah it was very of the time 
I, I think that, like, <laughs> I mean... And, and that is not a compliment. It was not a good time, <laughs> but it's very much of the time. I feel for me as well, listening to this album at this point, I'm so bored with bored of it, and I'm just like, when is it going to end? Blink-182, always, very 80s vibe to it. You've got the Roland synth bass, kind of sounds like a keyboard to me. Easy target as well, uh, which is sort of, I was getting just real emo vibes from it. Yeah, and even, I mean, Always is kind of new wave almost, you know, it's really, they're exploring all sounds of punk on this album, uh, which I really loved. And I I think it opened up my mind a little bit more of what punk meant and looked at different punks. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think Always was great. And I just want to shout out, I don't know if anyone remembers the video clip, it actually had Sophie Monk in the film clip uh, because they made the film clip in Australia. So that's a a funny little, if you have the time, it's very, I mean, the film clip is very This is post-Bardo. Yeah, post-Bardo, yeah. So this is like Sophie Monk getting into Hollywood, maybe even pre-Benji Madden. It's a very blink film clip. It's a bit cheesy, uh, but they made it in Australia, which is super cool. Easy target. It's real high school emo vibes. I would have loved it in year nine. I can tell you for a fact, but now I, I did really, It's about a friend of theirs at school that apparently was invited by the prettiest girl in school to go over a house. And when he turned up, she and a friend soaked him with a garden hose and he had to ride home all wet and depressed and angsty. Um, so that's where Easy Target comes from. Yeah, and if you've seen that film Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, it's very similar to that. Um, it's just like, I mean, as somebody that got bullied in high school, it was such a like, oh, uh, emo. Um, I, you get me, Tom and Mark. <laughs> I know. I listened to it and I was like, oh, these guys are in my brain and they're reading my diary in the best way. I still listen to this album with a lot of nostalgia and I still enjoy it as part of the record. So I think my opinion isn't, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it still counts. I'm not saying it doesn't count, but I am still, I've just got my rose-colored glasses on with this one. Shadow, the next one on Britney. Oh my God, I think it's the first song where she's not trying to hook up with a guy, which was very exciting. I was psyched, but I didn't have any other notes on it. It's kind of boring to me. But Brave New Girl, which was obviously inspired by Aldous Huxley's 1932 novel, Brave New World. We all know Britney's a huge Huxley head. Um, Mm -hmm. This is way more generic pop than any other song on the album, I think. A throwback to her older stuff. And I actually kind of liked it. With that in mind, it is a complete ripoff of Imani Coppola's Legend of a Cowgirl. I don't know if you yes, guys know that song. It 100% is. Which in itself is sort of sort of sounds like Material Girl by Madonna. Um, so I'm hoping she got paid for it. Yeah, with Shadow, I thought that was a weak song. Um, I, I, probably the weakest song for me. And then uh, totally skippable. And then with Brave New Girl, um, yeah, it was, it was a fine pop dance track. Uh, just another th- album filler, but nothing too extraordinary, but not uh, offensive to my ears either. Yeah, I feel like it's, again, like it's her kind of saying peace out kind of thing. <laughs> I think that it's um, it's nice for her voice at that time, but I don't know. I mean, she didn't write the song, but I'm just kind of putting myself mm-hmm. in her shoes and thinking how she's uh, feeling at that point in time. But I mean, musically, it's not great. <laughs> I, I don't love it. <laughs> I do love that Legend of a Cowgirl song, I will say that. That is a great song, though. Let's wrap up uh, Blink-182's All of This with the one and only Robert Smith. How the fuck did they get Robert Smith on their album? 
Um, apparently, they were really they they wanted to ask him, but they were really worried that he would go back and listen to their old music and be like, "Who the f- these teenagers want me to be on their album?" Um, so they were worried about that. And Smith said, "Nobody knows what kind of songs you are going to write in the future, and nobody knows the full potential of the band. And I really like the music that you did send me." So he was willing to give them a chance, um, and he had to be convinced by I think like nieces and nephews to listen to their music and give it a go. And so they got the cue as Robert Smith, who was obviously a big influence on them on this track. I love it. I remember that when this album came out, I was just starting to get into The Cure um, because of that whole emo movement. And it just blew my mind. Like at that point, Robert Smith was like considered the king of the emo scene, you know, like he's influenced all of those bands, you know, Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance and Panic at the Disco. And he is the original guy liner. So that was like just massive props for them to get that. And I think, you know, we've all kind of look at Robert Smith's image, but like he's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> and I'm sure that he would give anyone a chance. You know, he he's, loves pop music, you know, the QRS got such a good pop sound and he also likes being successful and relevant so I think that this song is is so cool and I think that it did a lot for Robert Smith um as well I think that it really opened up a lot of um you know a lot more some new doors and some new fans to The Cure and Robert Smith yeah um did you not love it oh I I mean I I didn't I wouldn't say I I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was. It w- I was just kind of ambivalent to it. Um, <laughs> How can you? This you're song breaking is, Cassie's heart. Oh my heart. gosh, this song is incredible. Yeah, no, but I'd say it's one of the better songs on the album for me, particularly during that tail end. I felt it was a little more subdued. It wasn't relying on those hard rock riffs like some of the songs in the middle do. So that's for me. That's what makes it interesting. I my ears perked up a little bit more to actually listen to it. And um, it wasn't as whiny um, as some of the songs in the middle. But like I said, uh, by this time during the tail end of the album, I'm kind of just like tuning out. Yeah, because I wish they had ended here. I thought this would have been a nice end to it, but then they continue on with I'm Lost Without You. And Yeah, I agree. You know what? I think that I love this album as a whole. I said it earlier that it's just such a great start to finish album. And I feel that, this is awful to say, but like, I wish that Blink ended things here. As a career, you <laughs> should have ended it. Absolutely. Here. No, I, I, I honestly think that because although they got back together and they released a few albums and now they've got my, um, Matt Skeeper in the in the band and when Tom DeLong left, I mean, they don't tour because of Travis Barker and I'm so, you know, respectful of that, but they don't really tour. I don't know if it's still Blink. I don't know. I just feel like this was such a, um, you know, the fact that it is a self-titled album, I just feel that it would have been a really nice, I don't know, bookend of their career, (laughs) which I feel awful saying because I still love them. Uh, But yeah, and I think with the album, I love it as a whole. Maybe it went on for a little bit too long. Like it's you know, it's 14 tracks in total. It's like, it's almost an hour. That's a long time. Every time, aka the Justin Timberlake song. Now, they've broken up recently when this album comes out. She then goes on to marry a childhood friend for 55 <laughs> hours in Las Vegas, divorces hmm. him because she wasn't in her right mind, according to the judge that did the annulment, and then marries our boy, K-Fed, Kevin Federline, the Yay. pancake man himself, Big Plays. Yes. So she's obviously... 
you know, breaking up from a, a long-term relationship with your, like, teenage sweetheart had some effect on her, and this song is her way of, of pouring it out. It's co-written with Annette Artani. They had both broken up with their partners, and they came together and started hanging out and wrote this song, and she's best known for representing Cyprus in the Eurovision Song Contest in 2006. Oh, that is so cool. Brittany said about it, yeah, it's about heartbreak, it's about your first love, your first true love. That's something all people can relate to, and because you all have that first love, you think you're going to be with for the rest of your life. And I thought this was a wonderful song. She needed more of this on the album. I was sick of the dance songs, the hooking up songs. I fe- it felt fake to me, after all. This is a Britney song that it feels like she's being genuine. And I was like, oh, where was this, Brit? Yeah, it's such a classic Britney song. And I think this is her response um, to Cry Me A River is what I've read. Um, and like, I just you just want to hug her when you hear this song. I don't know. I just want to give her a big cuddle. I, I do like, I was listening to it this morning when, when I was brushing my teeth and just thinking, oh my gosh, especially in 2003, leave Britney alone, everybody. Leave Britney alone. The music video, I, I like the music video as well. I think this is the one where she's fighting yeah, with the boyfriend in um, in Las Vegas and then she bumps her head and then she just drowns in the bathtub, if anyone remembers yeah, that. Yeah, and it was directed by David LaChapelle, if anyone is familiar with his work. He's a really famous photographer and he's really um, dark, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a dope song. That does it for the track by track. Let's take it to the breakdown. Cassie, I'm going to pitch you the question. Both these albums, wildly successful. Obviously, one of them, one of the most famous punk bands in the world at the time. The other, one of the most famous pop stars on the planet. Both sold well over 4 million copies worldwide. Why were each of these albums successful? I feel that that time, like it's, they're both very adult albums and they're honest albums and they're different and it's quite rebellious. And I think that, you know, we're all kind of getting on the internet. There's a lot of sliding into DMs at this point. And as uh, a consumer, people are trying new things. And I think that this, these, both these albums sum up, I guess, society at this time. I will agree with you in part in that I don't think they're adult albums, but rather what teenagers perhaps think adulthood is like. Oh, that sounds so much cooler. It's going out, hooking up, it's having problems with your girlfriends and being a bit angsty and stuff. That's what we think adulthood is. Adulthood is not like that. Um, Not that I have my life together or anything like that, but I wouldn't say this is the most mature music that could be made. That being said, it definitely has an audience and there is fucking bangers on both these albums, so it's understandable why these were such a success. It'd be interesting to see how the albums would have done if they didn't have the names attached to them. If Blink-182 weren't massive already and Britney wasn't already massive, it'd be interesting to see how each were received and how they were treated. This is Blink becoming a lot more mature and um, it shows in the music and, and the lyrics. For me, I just wasn't feeling it because when it comes to my taste in punk or even pop punk, I like the immature kind of stuff. I like the early like some 41 green day kind of stuff because it's just I, I don't know I just I just lean toward that kind of stuff so when they um start going to the emo territory I just become very apathetic to it even though I can recognize that the musicianship is extraordinary I will agree on with Cassie that it would have been great if this was their last album because they would have ended it on a high note in the sense of showing the world that hey man we are really serious musicians and we can actually put out something that isn't just jerk off jokes all the time so 
With Britney Spears, I mean, dude, I mean, in the zone, it's Britney Spears in 2003, man. She's like the biggest pop star in the world. She says, I'm going to come out with an album that's going to be a lot more mature. People are just going to be ecstatic to hear it. I think it's a transitional thing for her because she can't do the bubblegum pop shit all the time. So she puts out this album full of basically club bangers and it's doable. It's fine. But a massive thing is that it's Britney Spears in 2003. She's the biggest pop star in the world. So it was it was going to sell a million records no matter what. Yeah. And I think people were curious. People just wanted to know, like, what is Britney now? You know, she's just kissed Madonna on stage. She's, you know, she's gone through a divorce. What is going on with Britney? And we didn't have all of the different ways to, I guess, get in touch with celebrities as we do now. So that's, they wanted to know. It falls on you now, the task, to pick a song from each album that either you really loved or that you think encapsulates the spirit of the album. Up to you. What would you like people to listen to from each album? Oh, okay. So I, it's so hard. I, like it's it's hard in in both albums. Yeah. <laughs> both our albums are hard in each their own unique ways. I'm the time going to be nice. Um, I think with Blink One Eight Two self titled, I'm I'm going to go with Always because I think that that really sums up the album. Uh, in a really good way. As much as I Miss You is an absolute banger and just stands out, um, I just feel it always sums up the album the best and, and gives you the best idea with the, it's the best uh, sample of how, what you're going to expect for the rest of the album. Within the zone, like uh, if I'm going to sell it, like if I was going to make money from this, I would say Toxic, but we've both, we've all admitted that this album isn't anything like that banger. I don't know. It's uh, like, it's such a, average album (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't yeah uh, i can't decide (laughs) you just go with toxic just go with toxic yeah listen to toxic and put that on repeat pedro yeah with uh with uh blink's album um i miss you it's a massive song and it's the song where i i didn't find tom's voice to be that annoying (laughs) i think it's a complimentary (laughs) song no, but all jokes aside, it is a it's a, it's a good song. I think it's it's one of the the better songs on the album, and that's what I would recommend to to people. For Britney Spears, in the zone, my favorite. It wasn't uh, appreciated in his time. It wasn't appreciated on this podcast. But I got to say, I got that boom boom featuring no! the new game. <laughs> oh, you did oh. not yeah. just select that. Yes, um, it's so two thousand and three. It's so cringy. It's so corny, but it's so indicative of what this album is. It's a bunch of club bangers it's britney being sexy she's got that boom boom and um you got the yin yang twins on there as well so why not i'm gonna go with brave new girl because it sounds like a song i do like called legend of a cowgirl and i'm gonna go with stockholm syndrome because it has a great intro and it's a nice little interlude at the start uh nice touching thing hey cassie we can't let you go quite yet because you still have to tell us all about yourself <laughs> and tell us about your podcast, Dug by Us. Yeah, so I'm a music nerd. I love it. I live it. I breathe it. Um, even in these times of lockdown, I feel like I've consumed more new music than ever before in my life. Um, I am, yeah, I do stuff at Triple M. I do all the music stuff there. I have a great podcast that I always say is new but it's not it's coming up to a year old now which is crazy um that I do with a a friend from work and we both I guess love new music and it's a great opportunity for us to toot the horns of some songs and artists that we're absolutely obsessed with and adoring uh we just hit our 50th episode and we did a great award show for it which was lots of fun to make um so if you are somebody that struggles to find new music um or you just are in a bit of a rut 
with consuming music, it's the podcast for you. Um, apart from that, I just do lots of fun stuff. I can't even remember. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I, I'm always doing stuff, so follow me on socials. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Cassie. Bye. <laughs>